Well, welcome back to our weekly podcast. After taking a week off from preparing the message and not preaching, I'm really excited to get back into God's Word with you today. If you're joining us for the first time, we're in week three of a message series called This Is Him. For a total of five weeks, we're working our way through Luke chapters three and four. And while it's not part of Luke's gospel, a key passage for our series is found in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 16. It says this, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The question that Jesus asked his disciples that day is the most important question that you and I will respond to in this life. So who do you say that Jesus is? Luke chapters 3 and 4 consist of several passages that confirm that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is the Messiah, our Savior and Lord. Today, we're going to learn from an experience that Jesus had that took place immediately following his baptism. The story that we're going to read is found in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, but it's also found in Mark chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 4. While these different accounts do not contradict one another, Luke's account does provide the most detail. So if you have a Bible with you, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 4. We'll read the passage in its entirety, and then we'll go back and break it down into three different sections. So Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for forty days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off, for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. So after Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness, into the desert, to be tempted by the devil. As we read through the Gospels, we see that Jesus moved from this high and holy experience of being baptized to a season of temptation and testing. God's Word doesn't tell us why Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness other than this was His Heavenly Father's will. But if we look to other scriptures, so if we use Scripture to interpret Scripture, we see that there was purpose for the temptation that Jesus had to experience. He had to experience temptation so that every creature in heaven and on earth would know that he is the Messiah. He had to experience temptation so that he could understand and have compassion for us when we face temptation. So because he experienced times of righteous anger, desperation, hunger, temptation, frustration, and even fatigue, he completely understands when we go through these things in our own lives. 
His temptation also exposed the tactics of the devil and reveals to us how we can remain faithful to God when we're being tempted. As we'll see throughout today's message, in Christ, you have at your disposal the same resources that Jesus used when he was being tempted, the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's word. Temptation is the devil's weapon to defeat us, but it can be God's tool to build us. We most often associate temptation with giving in to sin, but it's important to understand that temptation in and of itself is not sin. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest, meaning Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus is able to understand and empathize with our struggles and our weaknesses because he experienced temptation just like we do, but he faced temptation without sinning. Tempting us to sin is one of the devil's main activities in our lives. We all have weaknesses, and we're all prone to give in to temptation and sin. For some, it's the temptation to worry and fear. For others, it's the temptation to procrastinate and be lazy. There's sexual temptation, the temptation to react to people and situations and sinful anger. There's the temptation to trust in your love of money more than God. The list is never-ending. As a Christian, it's important to identify where you're most vulnerable, where you have the greatest tendency to sin, and then learn to rely on God's strength and the truth of His Word to help you resist the devil's attacks. It's also important to know you don't have to feel guilty about the temptations that you struggle with. Instead, you can learn to use the right weapons to resist and turn from them. Jesus showed us how we can prevent temptation from becoming sin. Where the devil wants to use temptation as a weapon to defeat us, again, I'll say, God wants to use it as a tool to build us. Now, God doesn't send temptation into our lives. James chapter 1 verse 13 is very clear about this. It reminds us that God never tempts anyone. Instead, temptation comes from our own desires and from the devil. But God does allow us to experience temptation, and he can bring good from it by helping us grow stronger through it. So today, I want to show you what this looks like through Jesus' life, through his example. In the desert, Jesus was tempted by the devil on three different occasions. And there are some important scriptural truths that we can learn from each of them. If you're taking notes, the first truth is this. The first temptation involved the love of God and the provision of God. We read about this in verses 3 and 4. It says, Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone. So the devil was saying, if you're truly God's son, why doesn't your heavenly father feed you? If you're truly God's son, why did he bring you to this terrible desert? If you're truly God's son, why are you in this situation? Why are you in this mess? This first temptation sounds a lot like the devil's words to Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3 verses 1 through 5 says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. We all know what happened next. 
Eve was convinced that the serpent's words were true. She saw with her own eyes that the fruit looked really good, and she wanted what she didn't have. So she gave in to temptation. She ate the fruit from the tree. And then she gave some to her husband, Adam, and he ate the fruit as well. And in that moment, their eyes were opened. They felt shame for the very first time. The devil was subtly suggesting that God didn't love them, that he wouldn't provide for them. He was suggesting the same thing to Jesus in the desert, and he often suggests the same thing to us. Jesus was hungry, and the devil was tempting him with something that he didn't have, suggesting that his heavenly father didn't love him and that he wouldn't provide for his needs. Now, as a side note, I often hear people ask this question, why was Eve the one and not Adam who committed the first sin? Why was it a woman and not a man? This is kind of a deep question. I think it's a question that's best answered with a sermon on Genesis 3, a message that we'll save for another day. But there's an amazing truth I want to highlight for you today. You see, the devil chose a woman as the entry point for his plan of destruction, but God chose a woman as the entry point for his plan of redemption. You jump from Genesis to the Gospels and the New Testament, and we see the faith that Mary had in her obedience to God. So God chose a woman as the entry point for his plan of redemption. So however it is we talk about women, it needs to reflect the heart of God and not his enemy. How often do we forget that our Heavenly Father is a perfect parent and a perfect provider? It's so easy to want what we don't have and to believe the lie that God doesn't love us and that he won't provide for our needs. Adam and Eve put their physical needs ahead of their spiritual needs and the result was giving in to temptation. The result was sin. They allowed their circumstances to dictate their actions instead of following God's will. Jesus could have turned the stones into bread, but in doing so, he would have been exercising his power independently of God the Father. Instead, he chose to obey God, modeling for us how we can obey and rely on God as well. Listen to how he chose to respond to the devil in verse 4. But Jesus told him, no. It has a big exclamation point there. It's the first words out of his mouth. No. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone. And we know that Jesus was quoting scripture to the devil, specifically Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, which says, Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In the Old Testament, when God's people were hungry in the desert, God provided for them by sending manna or bread from heaven. This was a need that this group of people had, and God provided. As hard as it is to believe, reading, meditating on, and obeying God's word is more important than consuming physical food. Now, we need physical food. Our bodies literally require it. And personally, I don't just eat to live. I live to eat. I'm kind of a foodie. But Jesus' example reminds us that consuming God's word, reading God's word, applying the word, is even more important than the physical food that our bodies require. We should think of the Bible as spiritual food that we desperately need. So when you're tempted to believe the lie that God doesn't love you, or that he won't provide for your needs, claim the promises that are found in God's word in order to combat the lies of the devil. Remember, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here are two more important promises that you can remember and use today. They have to do with the love of God and the provision of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God showed his great love for us 
by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So God demonstrated his love for us by sending his one and only son while we were at our very worst. That's the love of God. Matthew 6 verse 26 says, Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? This has to do with the provision of God. This first temptation involved the love of God and the provision of God. In these verses, we can learn from Jesus' example how to combat the lies of the devil. We can learn from Jesus how to use God's word as our greatest weapon. As we'll see in the last two temptations, learning, memorizing, and applying God's word is critical if you're going to successfully fight against temptation and stay focused on Jesus. The second truth that I'd like to talk about is this. The second temptation offered Jesus a shortcut to his kingdom. We read about this in Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. It says, Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they're mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Jesus knew that he'd have to suffer and die before he entered into his glory. But the devil tried to persuade him to take a different route, a different road, an easier path. The lie was this, that if Jesus would have bowed down and worshipped the devil just one time, then he could have enjoyed all the glory without having to endure all the suffering. God's word teaches us that the devil has always wanted to take God's place and to be worshipped. Once again, Jesus demonstrated the importance of using God's word to combat the devil's lies. This time he quoted from Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, which says, Fear the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil didn't say anything about service, but Jesus knew that whatever we worship, we will serve. Let me say that again. Whatever we worship, we will serve. Knowing God and serving God brings true freedom in life, but loving and serving the things of this world, it always brings bondage. God's plan for Jesus' life was for him to experience suffering on our behalf and then to experience glory for all eternity. The devil's plan was for him to experience glory first and then to end with an eternity of suffering. It's the same in our lives. The devil wants us to sacrifice the eternal for the temporary and to take the easy road in life. And this temptation reminds us that there's no shortcuts in the Christian life. There's no easy way to spiritual growth and maturity. God will actually use the difficulties and the challenges that we face to help grow his character in us, making us more like Christ. I love this quote from author Warren Wearsby. He wrote, If the perfect Son of God had to hang on a tree before he could sit on a throne, then his disciples should not expect an easier way of life. Friends, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Well, the third and final temptation, if you're taking notes, It was the most subtle. It was the most subtle. This time, in an effort to manipulate Jesus, the devil also tried to quote scripture. We read about this in Luke chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. The devil was saying this, You intend to follow God's word? 
then let me quote scripture to you. We'll see if you obey it. He took Jesus to the highest point of the temple, about 500 feet up, and quoted from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, where God promises to care for his people. Now, this is what these two verses say. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, or all thy ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. If you're not looking for it, you might miss it. The devil was quoting scripture, but he was misquoting scripture. He was intentionally omitting words from the Bible in an effort to manipulate Jesus. And this should remind us that the devil is a master scripture twister. He told Jesus, if you jump off this point, God will order his angels and he'll protect you. But what he intentionally left out was the words, in all your ways or in all thy ways. Where the devil uses these verses to try and get Jesus to jump off the highest point of the temple, Jesus points out that we're not supposed to test God like that. These verses from Psalm 91 are not encouraging God's people to intentionally put themselves in unnecessary danger. They're not about testing God, asking him to do something to prove his existence and his power. Psalm 91, here it is, is about trusting God's character. It's about remaining faithful to God, finding our refuge in God, and trusting in the promises of God. Jesus once taught through a parable in Luke chapter 16, verse 31, that people who don't believe what's written in God's word won't believe even if someone came back from the dead to warn them. See, God wants us to live by faith, not by magic or manipulation. If we're going to live in the will of God, then we must follow the word of God. That's where we find and experience God's protection and his care. It's in all your ways. It's in all thy ways. God watches over those who are in his ways. That's what that means. As believers, it's important that we read all of God's word, studying and meditating on all that God has to say, because all of God's word is profitable for daily life. Once again, Jesus was able to identify and combat the devil's lies with God's word. The word was his weapon. You'll notice that's the title of today's message. The word is our weapon. I think we're starting to see a pattern here. The devil questioned God's love and his provision when he tempted Jesus to turn stones into bread. But we can learn from Jesus' example how to combat the devil's lies with scripture. People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need to read all of God's word, learn all of God's word, and use all of God's word. I want to remind you today to test everything that you hear against God's word, and that includes your pastor's sermons, whether that's in person or through the podcast. Test everything that you hear against the word. The devil also questioned God's plan when he offered Jesus the world's kingdoms if he would just bow down and worship him one time. God's plans are always for his glory and for the good of his people. If we don't fully understand the path, why we have to go through certain struggles to get to where God is leading us, we can trust that God is able to work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. And finally, the devil questioned God's faithfulness. He misused and twisted scripture when he told Jesus to jump off the temple. We know that God is faithful and that he alone is our strength, our stronghold, our protection when we live by his word walking in his will. We can live by faith because God can be trusted. In Christ, we have victory over sin and death because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. And while we're always going to face temptation this side of heaven, we have the Holy Spirit who leads us, teaches us, comforts us, convicts us, and encourages us. We also have God's word that is a lamp to our feet 
and a light to our path. When we face temptation, we can learn from Jesus to live like Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure.